Jesus does not come to help us escape this world and its brokenness, sin, and suffering. He comes to help us live more fully in it. He comes to make us more fully human. The fence he builds around the Torah with his teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount is not just about keeping the law. It's about protecting the relationships that make us more fully human. That's the Reverend Dr. Randy Harris, and today he brings you a powerful message of faith called Fully Human. I'm Peter Wallace. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now to introduce this week's preacher, here's our host, Peter Wallace. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're honored to have with us the Reverend Dr. Randy Harris, who since 2008 has served as the pastor of Highland Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Before that, he served congregations in Pickens, South Carolina and Columbus, Georgia. Randy is a graduate of Hampton Sydney College and earned Master of Divinity and Master of Theology degrees from Union Presbyterian Seminary in Richmond, Virginia and a Doctor of Ministry degree from Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia. Randy was the book review editor of the Presbyterian Outlook and has published homiletical essays in Feasting on the Word, Feasting on the Gospels, and Interpretation. He also serves as an adjunct professor at Wake Forest Divinity School. Randy, welcome to Day One. Thank you, Peter. You've served as pastor of Highland Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem for about 15 years now. How would you describe your church, its people, and its ministries? In Highland's mission and vision statement, we use the words grateful, vibrant, connected, and responsive. Mm. And those words capture the essence of the church in its life of worship and learning, of caring and serving. Uh, And so in every part of our life together, we seek to to live as that sort of people. Mm Mm-hmm. Highland was established in 1949, and from the very beginning is a congregation that has invested itself in the well-being of the community. My predecessor at Highland, before he retired, went through and read over 50 years of session minutes, (laughs) and he noted interesting or significant moments through the life of the church. Mm. And it's clear from the very beginning that Highland was a congregation that in many typical kind of ways focused on worship and education and all the things that churches do, but was also from the beginning very much interested in what was going on in the community mm-hmm. around it. And that that has continued ever since. Mm-hmm. At this point, Highland is in partnership with over 20 organizations in the community where we have both volunteers and mission funds from the church mm-hmm. enabling lots of ministry to happen in the community beyond our own immediate congregation. And one other thing in terms of Highland is that uh, we have for many, many years been what some describes as a a purple church. Hmm. We have people who are more progressive, who are more conservative, who are dear friends with one another, and whose friendships are stronger than whatever the divisive issue of the day may be. And that gives us a resilience of sorts Mm -hmm. that is life-giving for the church. Wonderful. 
You served as book review editor of the Presbyterian Outlook magazine, and I'm wondering what's the secret to a good book review? What I found in the five years that I that I served with the Outlook was a, a good book review certainly engages with the book, but does so with an interest in how the book will function in the life of the church. Mm-hmm an interest in in pastoral ministry and how this book may inform that ministry uh, in in lots of different settings. Mm-hmm. You also teach at Wake Forest Divinity School there in Winston-Salem. What courses do you teach? The primary course that I've taught is the Presbyterian Polity and Reformed Theology course for Presbyterian students mm-hmm. at the Div School at Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. That sounds exciting. Well, it's it's important, um, and it, it may it may not be exciting. Polity typically is not anybody's first love, but as we talk in the class, uh, one of the things that I hope the students realize is that polity is ultimately about how we follow Jesus together. In these days of pandemic, political and economic division, climate change, how are today's divinity students looking at their calling to ministry? What are, what are their hopes and, and how do they hope to fulfill them in ministry? That's a good question. I, I think that students these days are much more oriented towards engagement in those sorts of issues. When mm-hmm. I was a seminary student uh, years ago, uh, we were much more focused on the classical disciplines of preaching and teaching and pastoral care and some administration, Uh, these days there's much more engagement with those sorts of realities and uh, how how the church can be present in the world powerfully uh, in the face of so many challenges. So, Randy, what's fun for you? What what can we find you up to during your so-called spare time? <laughs> spare time, yes. Um, I have uh, taken up an interest in the last uh, 15 years or so in fly fishing and ah. fly tying. Um, you know, I'm like many Presbyterian ministers. I was a victim of a river runs through it and <laughs> felt like it, I, this was something I should be doing. Right. Uh, but it's something that I've really come to love. Uh, more recently, I have uh, had the opportunity to join a band uh, hmm. that that includes some of the members of Highland as well, and um, I, I came into that to be part of a a horn section for wow. for the band uh, and picked up uh, the saxophone that I hadn't played for about thirty eight years, <laughs> but it came right back. Uh, wow. It came right back in ways that I was not expecting. And then along the way, they needed a rhythm guitar player as well, and so I I've stepped into that, and it's it's been great fun. I I think I think I bring to the band some church skills hmm. about the importance of different gifts and those gifts working together. Yeah. Even as I bring to the church what I hope are some band skills about the importance of listening to each other and enabling all of those different parts to shine yeah. so that the whole truly is greater than the sum of the parts. What's the genre? What sorts of songs do you play? <laughs> Oh goodness. Uh we play uh so many different things. Uh we we truly I think we are a band where if somebody likes a song and we think that it's something that we could pull <laughs> off and that other people might enjoy we tr- we we play it. We play everything from Tom Petty to Tracy Chapman to Amy Winehouse to Steppenwolf, um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh we do a little bit of everything and that's part of what makes it fun. I love it. Randy, how did you experience your call to the ministry? 
You know, I grew up in the church. My parents were both elders, um, and church was just a thing we did. Sundays, mm-hmm. uh, we went to church. We That was never a question. Um, and experiencing the love and the nurture of the church as a child and a youth uh, was very formative for me. And my family got to know the ministers, not only as ministers, but also as people. Yeah. And that was a tremendous blessing, it turns out. And coming out of college, as I was discerning what I was going to do, this idea of ministry came into my head and my heart, and I returned to some of those pastors who had been so formative for me and talked with them about it. And one of them said, I had a feeling we'd be having this conversation Uh, one day. And that was a tremendously affirming thing for me. mm. Well, your sermon today for the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany focuses on the gospel reading from Matthew chapter 5, part of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. Would you read it for us? Sure. Matthew 5, verses 21 to 37. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, You fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The word of the Lord. Well, Randy, Jesus doesn't seem to hold back here. (laughs) Some pretty provocative teachings. What stood out for you as you studied this text for your sermon? I think the initial thing that I noticed was just how uncomfortable these words are. 
I read these words and I wince. Yeah. Uh, this is one of those texts where, as a preacher, my temptation is to say, well, I wonder what the epistle reading is for this <laughs> Sunday. Right. Uh, but I, I found with a text like this, with a difficult text, that oftentimes wrestling with a text like this will lead to blessing. Mm. And, and I hope that that's what happens with, with any of us who wrestle with a text like this. Mm-hmm. Well, your message is titled, Fully Human. Randy, thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you, Peter. Those verses I just read may be 17 of the most uncomfortable verses in all of the New Testament. Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount here are, well, a little indelicate, don't you think? Anger, murder, hell, lawsuits, adultery, lust, divorce, swearing. I almost feel the need to apologize. There's part of me that wants to say, Jesus, don't you know we don't talk about things like this, especially in church? I remember being in church a few years ago with a family member who was in the middle of divorce when this was the text read in worship. Afterwards, he laughed a little and said, did anyone else notice that the preacher kept looking at me? Frankly, most of us probably think that Jesus is looking at us as he says these words. We should, because he is. Even with the discomfort, I think there's something here strangely enough that may be helpful for us, but that does not mean that this is not a tough text. As Jesus comes to this part of the Sermon on the Mount, he has quit preaching and gone to meddling, and he is meddling, intentionally so. Then, as now, there is not one of us who has not been touched by nearly everything that Jesus names here. We may not be murderers, but we've certainly been angry, especially in these fraught times of ours. And that anger, left unreconciled, can eat away at us until there is nothing left. Many have experienced the bitter pain that comes in the wake of adultery or divorce. I'd guess that none of our families or close friends have been immune. That's not to mention the lust that Jesus names, which between our biology and our culture doesn't give anyone a chance. Who hasn't heard a politician or leader say words to the effect of, As God is my witness, I promise that I will, only to see that promise broken or ignored? We can sure mess things up in a hurry. Yes, Jesus is meddling, all right, and denying the possibility of a reading of the Torah that would let us let ourselves off the hook. Let's be honest. We really wish he had said something different. We want him to say, sometimes divorce happens and it's okay. Or if you're angry with a brother or sister, they probably deserve it. And as long as your anger is of the righteous indignation sort, then carry on. Or let your yes be yes and your no be no, unless you need to nuance things to get out of an awkward situation, in which case, go for it. But that's not what he does. 
Jesus sets a high bar here for sake of life together. At the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine published a wonderful book on the Sermon on the Mount, in which she helps us see the way that Jesus here is teaching like a typical first-century rabbi, echoing the practice encouraged in the Mishnah, that earliest collection of Jewish oral tradition. Levine says that Jesus here is building a fence around the Torah. Those ancient rabbis, in order to help people avoid breaking commandments in the Torah, would often extend the implications of a commandment as a way to make the original commandment more difficult to break. To that end, Levine refers to this section of the Sermon on the Mount not as the antitheses, as many scholars do, but as the extensions. So what's the best way not to murder someone? Deal with your anger before it escalates to murder. Extend the idea that wanton killing is bad to include the idea that untended anger can turn murderous. How to avoid adultery? Find a way to make it harder to indulge your lust. Break the cycle that leads to these escalations that disrupt our relationships or ruin lives. Find a way to say something or do something that disrupts the cycle that can lead to something much worse. Not long ago, I saw a story in the news about a seventh grader in Buffalo, New York, named Romello Early, who watched with distress as one of his classmates, Melvin Anderson, was being picked on at school because of the shoes he was wearing. As one of their teachers noted, you go to school and people look at your shoes before they even look at your face the reality being that those with more expensive shoes have a higher social status. No, it should not be that way, but too often it is. Melvin was being teased for wearing worn-out shoes, and as he lamented, it feels bad. How many times have we heard stories about the effects of this sort of teasing, bullying behavior? How often does such teasing lead to something much worse? But not on Romello's watch. Deeply bothered by seeing Melvin being bullied this way, Romello came home and told his mother, Mom, you can take away anything you're getting me for Christmas or you could take my allowance. I just want to get Melvin some shoes. So Romello worked with his mother to pull together $135, including his life savings, so they could get Melvin some new shoes. With the wisdom of an ancient sage, or maybe a rabbi, Romello said, Nobody deserves to get put down based on a pair of shoes that he's going to eventually grow out of. He went on to say that his next goal is to convince his fellow classmates that shoes were made for walking, not dividing and diminishing. One pair of shoes to break the cycle of bullying that so often escalates to something much worse. One pair of shoes that lifted Melvin from that place of teasing to a place of fuller humanity among his peers, through the care of a young man who valued those relationships more than he did his own Christmas gifts or any money he had saved. I share his teacher's hope that Romello's actions become contagious among his peers and beyond. So to what end is Jesus' teaching here? With his lifting up of the Torah and his addition of these extensions to build a fence around it? What is Jesus' ultimate goal? What does he want for his followers? Well, there's a common theme in these verses. 
Time and again, Jesus is pointing out the painful reality of broken relationships and the things that can undermine relationships. The anger that distances us from one another, the divorce that rends families, the lust that leads us to turn others into objects, not people, the vows and promises we make which, when broken, make it impossible for us to trust one another. Time and again, Jesus is getting at the ways that our relationships can go wrong. But why? What's his point? Perhaps he's helping us see how our anger and lust and our broken trusts undermine not just our relationships, but our very humanity itself. In his masterful book, Called to be Human, Michael Jenkins, former president of Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, writes about faith through a series of letters to his adult children. In the very first paragraph, he says to them, I'm plunging in where you are by responding to a question that you both have raised. As Christians, what's the point of our faith? There are dozens of ways that I could respond, Jenkins says, but I think the best would be to come straight to the point. The purpose of Christian faith is for us to become human. I'll put it even more bluntly, he says. Christians believe that God became flesh and dwelt among us, and I do not for a moment think that God went to all the trouble of incarnation, let alone the trouble of being crucified, just to make us religious. God became human to make human beings out of us. Jesus does not come to help us escape this world and its brokenness, sin, and suffering. He comes to help us live more fully in it. He comes to make us more fully human. The fence he builds around the Torah with his teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount is not just about keeping the law. It's about protecting the relationships that make us more fully human. If that's the case, then perhaps Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount might take on a slightly different meaning for us. It may just be that the anger and lust and other forces that undermine our relationships are also the very things that are keeping us from being the fully human beings that God has made us to be. Tending to the health of our friendships, our marriages, our relationships with our children or our parents, our neighbors, even our enemies, to whom Jesus turns in the very next section of his Sermon on the Mount, is a way for us to live more fully into our humanity. With that, I take Jesus' difficult words here to be nothing less than a call for us to be the fully human beings that God has created us to be. When he sums up the message of Torah later in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says that it all comes down to love, love for God and love for our neighbors, even as we love ourselves. In Jesus, we know that life, that full humanity, has everything to do with relationships, and we've all seen the way that life is diminished or deflated when our relationships are broken. The good news of the gospel is that we belong to a God who values relationships, God with us, us with God, us with each other, and at peace with ourselves. Frankly, Jesus reminds us that ours is a meddlesome God who is not content to leave us as we are, but who is forever at work to draw us together and to heal not only the brokenness within us, but also the brokenness between us. 
May the church ever be a place where our relationships are nurtured and our humanity is restored, that we may know the blessings of God and be a means by which such blessings of wholeness and humanity are shared with others near and far. Surely, such a fully human life is the one to which Jesus calls us. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, renew our humanity as we seek to follow in Christ's way. Stir up within us a desire to tend to our relationships, that we may live and share and serve in such a way that we give honor to the bonds of love and fellowship in which our lives are held. May our living be a means of grace and blessing and a witness to the new life you offer us in Christ. Amen. Our preacher today was the Reverend Dr. Randy Harris, Senior Pastor of Highland Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. For a free transcript of a sermon titled, Fully Human, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Please keep in mind that Day One depends on the financial gifts of faithful listeners like you. Send your donation to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. We're grateful for your help. This is Peter Wallace. Next time on Day One, we're honored to welcome the Reverend Dr. J. Peter Holmes, Senior Pastor of York Minster Park Baptist Church in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Don't miss his inspiring message, Listen to Jesus. That's next week on day one. Preacher Randy Harris offers some final reflections on his sermon, Fully Human. And thank you, Randy, for your helpful insights into what you said may be 17 of the most uncomfortable verses in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount with the lovely and compelling Beatitudes and then this. But before we get into it, let's step back a bit. How should we approach difficult teachings of Jesus like these rather than react in discomfort or maybe even anger? What's a more fruitful way to respond? You know, I think that Jesus ultimately always has our well-being mm. at, in mind. And when he says something like this, it's not to tell us that we're terrible people. It's yeah. to help us, again, live more fully into the people that God intends us to be. I think he names here a number of the things that get in the way, that keep us from that full humanity. And so a text that is challenging to us in this way ultimately yields blessing mm. for those who, who wrestle with it. If we, if we can see through to what I believe is his intention here. Mm-hmm.
And Jesus sets a high bar here for the sake of our life together, you said, and you referenced Amy Jill Levine's take on this teaching, considering it as extensions to the Jewish teaching in the Torah. So the best way not to murder someone is to deal with your anger before it escalates or avoid adultery by making it harder to indulge your lusts. In other words, find a way to disrupt the cycle that can lead to something much worse. That makes a great deal of sense to me, but can you put into more specific terms what this might look like? I, th- I think what that looks like is a desire and an intention to pay attention to our relationships mm. and how are we living, how are we acting, what are we saying, what are we doing that is tending to the well-being of those relationships. Yeah. The, these days, um, anger is so easy. I know people who watch the news and all they are doing is stoking their anger. Uh, I know people who listen to people on the other side of whatever the line may be, and all they do is come away from that more and more angry. Mm. Uh, And a text like this challenges that and invites us to remember the humanity of the other person. And hopefully, a text like this would lead us to engage in some questions. Tell me a little more about why you feel that way. Why have you come to understand this issue like that? In those kind of conversations, I believe that there is a chance to build some bridges, to find a deeper humanity we share in common, and not be so consumed by those things that are so obviously different about us. Mm -hmm. Randy, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? I hope that folks who hear this sermon would, would hear in these difficult words from Jesus a desire for us to live more fully into the humanity for which we are created, that Jesus helps us see the things that undermine our humanity, our relationships, and calls us with this high bar that he sets to live in such a way that that humanity can be restored, not only for us, but for others too. Mm. Randy Harris, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Peter. My honor. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever. Mm